Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. to make. I've listened to you all tell a thousand sob stories, and um, well, I've been very judgmental. Well, maybe you're all correct, you know. Men are the enemy. No, they're not. But, but, but I still love the enemy. Hello? Hello? I'm looking for my wife. Wait. This is where it has to happen, and this is where it has to happen. I'm not letting you get rid of me. How about that? This used to be my specialty. You know, I was good in the living room. They send me in there, and I'd do it alone. And now I just... Tonight, our little project, our company, had a very big night. A very, very big night. But it wasn't complete. It wasn't nearly close to being in the same vicinity as complete. Because I couldn't share it with you. I couldn't hear your voice. Or laugh about it with you. I miss my, I miss my wife. We live in a cynical world, a cynical world. And we work in a business of tough competitors. I love you. You complete me. I'm not just Shut up. Just shut up. You had me at hello. You had me at hello. Oh, don't you just love Hollywood? Isn't that just how it goes in real life? That's exactly how it goes. Uh, I want to welcome you to our final week of this series, Crazy Little Thing Called Love. And we, let's just admit this, man or woman, we all love the Jerry Maguire moment, okay? What is not to love? When a man looks into that woman's eyes and offers those three magic words, you complete me. I mean, what woman doesn't want to hear this? And it's, it's like this. Pink sees blue, and, and he wraps his arms around her. Come here, sweetheart. 
I have something to tell you. And, 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 and Pink says, oh, you're talking to me, my language. And they live happily ever after, or at least until the sequel, really. Um, I just want to admit it's a romantic notion that there's somebody out there who will, at some point, complete you, okay? We all, you're soulmate. You're split apart. Both men and women, pink and blue alike, use that language whenever it comes to marriage. Uh, if you're single, someone says, uh, you know, do you think you'll, you'll get married? The answer is usually, sure. As soon as I find Mr. or Mrs. what? Right, right? Well, well, well what, what's Mr. Right? What are you looking for? Someone who completes me. Somebody who can give me what I need. You know, what's missing in my, my life. I, she or he is the man or the woman of my Dreams. We all have these lists, okay? These dreams are expectations of the guy or the gal we hope will become the one. And uh, some of them are based on superficial stuff, like, you know, uh, oh, well, you know, like Tom, he's got to have dark hair and good teeth, maybe a little bit taller than Tom Cruise, uh, you know, or, 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 or short and perky like Renee Zellweger. I love those pouty lips, you know, whatever it is on your list. Most of us know we don't focus just on superficial physical stuff. I mean, we're in church, so you're like, well, there should be something, you know, spiritual. Faith should be uh, play some role. So, uh, you know, some of you blue men are like, I'm holding out for, again, for that, that Victoria's Secret model who loves Jesus. You know, I just have standards. Um, but if anything, what's happened is this series has taught us that at our core, men and women have these deeper needs at the core of our being, the ones highlighted in Ephesians 5.33. Pink needs love like she needs air, that unconditional love for who she is apart from how she looks or performs. And so the dream of Pink is to find a man who can meet her needs for openness, for understanding, who can be close to her and put his arm around her and, and show empathy when, when she's hurting and listen when she's talking and not offer a solution if there's a problem. That's the way Pink is wired. That's what she wants and hopes she'll find one day in Blue. On the other hand, Blue craves what? respect. That's his core need. A woman who's going to praise and admire him for who he is uh, and, and, and breathe, speak courage into his soul and just, uh, just acknowledge and esteem his desire to protect, provide. And, and when a man finds a woman who believes in him, well, well, that's the language of what? Love, right? And they come together and they intertwine their lives and they say, oh, let's get to know one another. Maybe we could, maybe, maybe we could actually start living not just two separate lives, but one life. And if it really goes far, what happens? We literally say that they what? Tie the knot, right? That's literally what we call it. And two separate lives intertwine and become one flesh. That's what the Bible says. In Matthew 19, Jesus said this, for this reason, a man's going to move out from mom and dad's house and be united to his wife. And the two will become what? One flesh. So they're no longer two, but one. That's the math of biblical marriage. One plus one equals one. Two separate lives intertwining and they become braided together, never to unravel or fall apart. Why? Because you complete me. That's how Hollywood interprets this. But those of you who have been married for some time, you know better. <laughs> because what they don't tell you is the day after, when the marriage actually starts, when the wedding's over and the relationship begins. And that's honestly when things begin to unravel. This is where things tend to get a little bit looser and what in the world happened? There was a young uh, bride named uh, Joanne. It was kind of funny because after three weeks after her wedding day, she came up to her pastor and she said, Pastor, John and I had our first fight. It was awful. I, I can't believe it. I don't know what to do. And the pastor uh, said, you know, calm down. Every marriage is going to have a first fight. It's not that bad. It's natural. And she said, oh, I know, I know. She said impatiently, but, uh, but what am I going to do with the body? You know, there's, this, there's like this thing. <laughs> it doesn't take much for them to be at each other's throats. We've established that conflict is a normal part of any relationship. It's inevitable. In the fourth chapter of his epistle, James, James is the brother of Jesus. So he travels with Christ. He asks this question. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle deep within you? You want something, but you don't get it. And you can't have what you want. And you quarrel and fight. And it doesn't take any time for this to happen. It comes as a surprise to a lot of couples. Uh, Colleen and I had not been married more than a year. It was about 11 months when our relationship showed signs of coming undone, of unraveling, of fraying at the edges. And looking back, it wasn't any one major issue, honestly. It was just stupid stuff. 
Um, the first fight that we had, I remember, uh, we still refer to as the spaghetti in- incident. Uh, it's kind of embarrassing. I was a high school English teacher at the time. My wife was working in Manhattan, but my job was local. So I would get home between 4 and 5 p.m. She wouldn't get typically home until around 7 o'clock. So I had a couple hours to myself, no kids, no dog yet at this point. She said, fine, when I come home, can you just have two things done? I just want you to do two things. Would you clean up the kitchen? And would you clear off the dining room table? Because, you know, you put all the junk mail and that graded papers and all that and just have the kitchen clean and, and the junk mail off the table so things would be ready for dinner when she got home. So I would try my best to do this. And, uh, but one spring day around 5 o'clock, my buddy John called up, dude, it's awesome out there. Let's go mountain biking. And I'm like, she's going to be home in about an hour. And I looked at the dishes in the sink, and I looked at my mountain bike in the garage, and I prayed about it for two seconds and said, I'm going biking. I went biking with John, you know, left it all cluttered and all that. Rookie mistake. Couple hours later, uh, she gets home, dirty dishes everywhere, stacks of mail, my graded papers, I just threw everything all over. And she had her girlfriend from the train with her. So they all come, which is very bad because now Colleen feels embarrassed for a messy house because it's a, it's a reflection on her. The home is a reflection on the woman. And I get back from mountain biking, but I'm like a pig in mud, man. I'm literally covered in mud. And I come in, and she has this look on her face. She looks kind of cranked. And so I, uh, hey, give her a kiss, you know, pretend nothing's wrong, classic man. Uh, but I could tell she was upset because it was Wednesday, and she was making spaghetti. I, and I'm not using a metaphor. She was actually making pasta, okay? Uh, and she was making the spaghetti with so much noise, I'd never heard it. Uh, she was, like, boiling the water. She's like, <laughs> with the spoon, you know, kind of thing, banging the pots and all that, pretty aggressive towards the spaghetti, uh, not saying a word. So I sat down and I figured, you know, I'll take the high route. So I'm like, uh, okay, why don't we, uh, you know what, sweet, why don't we just play, pray for dinner here? Uh, you know, Lord, thank you for this beautiful home you've given us, you know, that it doesn't matter if it's dirty because it's full of love, you know, <laughs> I can be devious. Okay. I mean, and she was, and she, I could see she was quiet. So I, I finally, you know, what's wrong? What's gone? And her eyes started welling and she said, I asked you to do two things. I asked two things and you completely blew me off. And I was like all shocked, like, what's the big deal? You know, there's more to life than clean house and all that. Totally minimized her feelings. And I'll never forget her response because she finished, she was twirling her spaghetti at the time and she pointed her fork at me. And she said, if you asked me to do two things, I would never blow you off. And to add emphasis, she kind of flicked her fork when she said, never blow you off. And as fate would have it, we were having linguine with marinara sauce that night and uh, uh, uh. It kind of flicked off her fork into my face, and I said, oh, okay, okay, uh, you know, I took my napkin, and I go, you know what, uh, look, don't get hostile, you don't have to flick your fork uh, at me, okay? She said, I can flick my fork whenever I like to flick my fork. It's my fork, and if I want to flick it, I'm going to flick it. <laughs> and she flicked it again, and I don't quite know what happened, but something snapped in me, and I had never had my buttons pushed in precisely that way, and, and this is embarrassing, But I actually reached down into my plate of pasta, which my bride had lovingly prepared. And I thrust my hand out. I said, you think flicking is funny? And she said, I do. Now, I had heard those same words exactly 11 months earlier, okay, at the altar. And uh, I said, well, how would you like it if I flicked this at you? And she said, go ahead. (laughs) She said, "It'll, it'll actually match the mess you always make around here. And I was like, my, like, I had, you know, my blue wire started shorting out. And you know what I did? As your, as your spiritual leader, man of God. I want to tell you that I took a deep breath and like, you know, prayed for page. But we are in church. I can't lie. And uh, like any good Christian husband who still had an excellent pitching arm from intramural wiffle ball, I leaned back and lit, I let a handful of pasta go. And it went over her shoulder. <laughs> against the back window, like a shotgun blast of noodles and sauce. And she literally, she goes, oh. I, oh. she just kept looking back and I kind of was like, oh, what have I done? And she did the worst thing possible in Blue's world. The third time she looked back, she came back and looked at me and she started laughing. Oh, oh my God, I can't believe, oh, and pointing at me. And that was like it, man. Again, I, I, I just started burning, you know. And uh, honestly, I don't typically raise my voice when I, when I get upset. But there it was. I snapped, I sinned, I threw spaghetti. Okay, this is how it happened. In zero to five minutes, I became completely unraveled and was pretty certain that this woman was my mortal enemy, okay? It was surprising. <laughs> 
But you know what? That was 11 months into our marriage, and I was surprised, but I shouldn't have been. Because we said, this is what the Bible promises in any relationship, especially marriage. Remember 1 Corinthians last week? We said, those who marry will face many troubles in this life. Again, you don't see that verse on bumper stickers, but it's a promise. And, and the reason we don't, we don't really acknowledge that is because we buy this Hollywood fantasy that there's some man out there who is going to complete me and make me feel cared for. 100% of the time, he will complete me. Or this woman is going to meet all my desires and needs for affirmation and praise. And the reality is, because we buy into this, totally unrealistic and quite honestly unbiblical expectation of the other you become disillusioned at some point because at some point it dawns on you you know what she doesn't complete me (laughs) they she doesn't even come close or he does not complete me i don't know I'm, i'm not getting what i need in fact what happens then is it becomes a source of friction and it becomes this like tug of war you know we go to our corners well he's not giving me what i need you know or, or she's not treating me right you know i deserve to be loved and understood didn't you hear the message last week don't talk to me like that woman you respect me uh you know you did you hear pastor tim don't flick your fork you know uh don't give me that respect business you're supposed to be able to, to be willing to die for me like jesus i would die for you you never do you know it's, it's kind of this this back and forth and we're shocked by this unending source of tension and struggle over and over what causes fights and quarrels among you says jesus's brother don't they come from your desire that battles deep within you you want something but you don't get it so so men let me let me ask you about the woman in your life does she complete you in every single way not so much How about you, ladies? Is the man of your dreams, he always gives you exactly what you need. Most definitely not. And so two good-willed people who are both designed in the image of God are left to draw one conclusion. I guess I married the wrong person. I had a woman come up to me crying uh, after last week's message. And she was like, my husband didn't take me out for coffee. And I'm not surprised. I didn't expect him to. He doesn't listen. He's not affectionate. And she had this list of things that she wished he did, but he doesn't do. And she resents it. She's like, he's not providing, he's not this, he's not that. He's like, like, this isn't what I expected when we tied the knot. I was expecting something else. Adam, the man, is not completing me. So Eve feels uncared for, you following? And so she's left to conclude, I guess I married the wrong person because guess what? He or she is incomplete. And she resents that. This is what happens when one person feels like they are bearing the weight of the relationship. It makes them feel bitter. It feels unfair. Maybe he's a workaholic, and, and, and his impulse you know, to succeed is like all-consuming. You know, he loves his job more than me. You know, he travels a lot. He stays late. He tunes out when he gets home. And so you criticize his efforts, and, which actually shuts him down even more because it's disrespectful. And, 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 and so Blue concludes, well, the woman doesn't respect me. She doesn't appreciate what I do. Well, guess what? If you don't praise your man, he eventually will find a woman who will. There will be some bimbo at his office who says, oh, but you, oh, you work so hard. She should, she should appreciate you. That's not fair. I can't believe she said, dang straight. And you know where this leads. Wives, ladies, listen. Most affairs do not begin for physical reasons, but for emotional ones. He needs to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are his number one fan. And if that deeper need isn't met by blue spouse, he's going to start looking elsewhere. Maybe I'm with the wrong person. She's incomplete. This is the same thing, okay, if you're dating. I talked with a guy who's been dating a woman for... Uh, it's almost three years now. And I said, dude, are you going you to marry her or what? What do you think? He said, I, I don't know, Tim. I'm not sure if she's the uh, interesting words. He said, I'm not sure if she's the complete package. I said, oh, what, what is the complete package, you know? And he was like, you know, I just want someone like, you know, who's in this a little bit more like kind of, you know, sports the way I am and working out. And, uh, you know, I hope for someone who had, you know, uh, bigger eyes. Uh, you know, she seems a tad controlling, uh, you know, reminds me of my mom and dad. Their marriage was a train wreck. So incomplete. He says, I don't, I don't know that she's the complete package. In other words, translation, I won't commit until I'm 100% certain that he will give me everything I possibly need. Good luck with that one. See, married, single, it don't matter. God did not design us to complete the other person. That's why it unravels. Think about that. Because there, there is this fallacy in Christian circles that like, no, God handpicks, he ordains one person for one girl, and they complete each other. That's not true. That's not biblical. Ladies, you, it, wives, the reason this, he doesn't complete you is because you married a son of Adam, 
okay? He's been designed by God, but he's marred by sin. You married a sinner. He's not perfect. You're like, amen, I know this. You don't need to be reminded. But if you're looking for him to completely meet all your needs and desires, it will put a strain on your relationship that it can't possibly bear. Ladies, men, this room is full of daughters of Eve. She is beautiful, but she is broken. You following me? And if you think, well, now that she's heard this series, I think she's going to magically respect me and, 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 and give me all the admiration and sex that I need, take another bite of the apple, okay? It ain't going to happen. When you first meet, you start dating, you have glimmers of completion, of the way that it could be when the two of you kind of braid your lives together. But eventually, guess what? The gaps show. Eventually, the gaps will show. And the relationship will either come undone, it will unravel, it will start coming apart and more and more, and then all of a sudden it'll come apart, or you will intentionally cut it off. See, when it comes to a relationship, the picture the Bible gives us is that a cord of two strands, just pink and blue alone, is not strong enough. It isn't designed to endure. It needs something stronger, something more powerful running through it if it's going to beat the house odds. Here's the house odds in the church, 51% divorce rate. It's identical to the world. Not a lick of change. Why? There's an ancient book in the Bible. Uh, it's called Ecclesiastes. It's about 3,000 years old. It is Hebrew wisdom literature. And uh, in Ecclesiastes 4.12, God gives these ancient instructions about tying a knot meant to last. Let's read this together, okay? Ecclesiastes 4, it says, A cord of what? Three strands is not quickly broken. In other words... When pink looks at blue and says, I believe he's going to complete me at the deepest places of my heart, she's fooling herself because the Bible's like, love alone, not enough. Likewise, when, when blue says, if I spend my life with this girl, she's going to affirm and esteem me and never step on my toes and I'll never, guys, she's just a girl. Respect alone is not enough because the pull of life, even no matter how much you love and respect one another, the pull of life is going to, is going to tear at you. It's going to put weight on you. It's going to make it, you strain and, and need something stronger here. The reality is the Bible says a third cord is needed, and it ain't pink and it ain't blue. You know where I'm going with this? Those of you who are painters, those of you who are artists, you may know. If you mix the colors pink with blue, what do you get? You get a whole other color, and that color is? purple. Purple. Thank you. It was supposed to come down from heaven. Here it is. What's the color purple? You know biblically what the color purple is? It's a color of royalty. Ooh, someone reading their Hebrew literature. Go for good for you, girl. Purple is the color of royalty. It is the color of a king. It is the color, in fact, of God himself. In the Old Testament, it's incredible things. See, scripture actually says, if I gave you a little quiz walking in, so is God a boy or a girl, male or female? Which one? Neither. Neither. God's neither. That's our best approximation. We use masculine pronouns to talk about God. We call him our father. He's our Lord. He's our master. When Jesus came to earth, he was the son of God. He came to this earth as a man. And yet the Bible says God is love. He's the father of our family. And yet he's nurturing like a mother to the weak. So we know that God has both masculine and feminine qualities. And he created us in his image, male and female, to reflect his character, which is the character, however, of a king. It is purple. It is the color of royalty. This is the color crimson. It is the color of blood. It is the color of nobility. Someone with authority. And the point is, the only person who has the strength to keep two imperfect, sinful people together by his authority, by his power, is Jesus Christ. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. In other words, one plus one plus one equals one. Married folks, who completes you? Are you expecting the girl to? Is she going to do it for you guys? Women, how about you? Is it just possible, honestly, this whole time of your recent struggle, you've been looking to the wrong man to keep this thing together? Because the secret to Christian marriage, I don't mean secular marriage, we'll talk about the difference in a minute, is that only Christ alone has the power to keep two sinful buggers together and forgiving each other every day just the way God does with you and me, yeah? I would like to tell you, single folks, that marriage is easy. Marriage is wonderful. I'd love to tell you it's easy. Have you ever seen uh, this at Staples? They sell this thing. The e they call it the easy button. Have you ever seen this? That was easy. You ever see this? I wish they had one of these for marriage, <laughs> 
Honey, I just went to the store and blew $500 at Macy's on pillow shams. Are you mad with me? No, we needed new shams. That was easy. Oh. Hey, sweetie, I'm going camping with the boys this weekend. I don't know when I'll be back. Is that cool? You got the kids? Sure, sweetheart. Why don't you stay an extra day and drink plenty of beer, too? That was easy. It doesn't go that way. Marriage is never easy. We rarely get what we want. In fact, most often, we get our feelings hurt because you're living with an imperfect person. And when we're hurt by somebody that we love, we often want them to feel the same way. Taking revenge in marriage? That was easy. Oh, yeah. Tommy Nelson tells a story about a wife who asked her husband to zip up the back of her dress. They were going out for dinner. He was kind of a playful guy, and he began to play, you know, with her zipper in a flirtatious way. Just zip it and the zipper broke. And she was furious because it was a new dress and everything. So the next day, when she came home from grocery shopping, uh, she had her chance for revenge. She was walking up the driveway, and she sees her husband lying underneath the car changing the oil. And his waist and his legs are sticking out, and she couldn't resist. She's like, how would he like it? So she grabbed the zipper on the front of his pants and went, just like he did with her dress the night before, and then walked into the house, into the kitchen, where she saw her husband standing with a glass of water. What? What? I just, what? I just, you were just, just, what's up? What? How did you get in here so fast? What do you mean? I I just saw you underneath the car. Oh no, that's Bill across the street. I asked him for help with the muffler. And they ran outside, right? You know, the poor Bill and everything. The muffler was loose. He was was just helping out the husband and everything. He was getting him a drink in the house. Needless to say, she went pale as a ghost, and they ran out there, Bill, 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 and the guy is, is laying under the car, but he doesn't come out. They're like, Bill, Bill, I'm so sorry, so sorry, and he doesn't move, so they pulled him out by his legs, and he was completely unconscious. Do you know why? Apparently, he did what any red-blooded man would do when someone starts playing with, zip, 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 with your zipper. He sat straight up and wham, hit the car, and he knocked himself out. <laughs> True story. It's incredible. It's incredible. That's a picture. That's a picture of marriage. That was easy. No, it's not. Marriage is not easy. Forgiving your spouse, not easy. Getting even? That was easy. Yeah. And the truth is, if you don't have a deeper motivation that steps over all of the petty injustices, the hurts, the hang-ups, the habit, he's so annoying, he's building this, this underwear monument in the middle of our bedroom... If you don't have a deeper power animating your forgiving spirit, you will never be able to hit the reset button. You guys know what a reset button is? It clears the score. We have a Wii at home. My little boy loves to play this. There's this game, sword fighting. You actually just hit each other on the head and everything. The guy falls off the pedestal. Um, He used to beat me all the time at this when we first got the thing because, you know, I'm a little bit bigger and I could, you know, and I I would let him win. But he started practicing and now he's really good. So he calls me down. Hey, Dad, you want to say, yeah, sure. Bam, 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 bam. And he, he, no come mercy for the old man, okay? He got no mercy. And, but now, when he gets out too far ahead in points, I typically go, uh, oh, wow. Hey, Doe, what's that? And he's like, what? And I hit the reset button. <laughs> and everything goes back to zero. Wouldn't it be great if relationships had a reset button? Like if one player just starts racking up the points and getting out in front, everything goes back to even with the touch of a button. The truth is, Only Jesus Christ gives us that power. He's the only one who gives us the power and actually points the way to the reset button called forgiveness. It is the core message of Christianity. This is what sets Christian marriage apart from a civil union. One is before the government and one is before who? God. The government says, you know, a lot of people say, well, I don't see what what difference a piece of paper makes. Exactly. It's a contract. But Christian marriage is a covenant. Primarily first before God saying, you know what? I'm going to love you, Jesus Christ, more than I love her, more than I love me. And when she is not so lovable, I'm going to still love you anyway, and I'm going to forgive her. I'm going to forgive him the way you forgive me every day for my failings. If you don't have that, what power are you going to have when you are hurt, when you are wounded? As believers in the gospel, guys, this is the essence of it. This is why God shows this as a symbol of our relationship with him. The idea of the gospel here, guys, is that we have racked up this huge debt before God with our sin. It's like, it's like he's, the score has been so run up. But God says, I love you so much that I'm going to die in your place to hit the reset button, to forgive your sin 
and restore this relationship. And on the cross, Jesus said, Father, what? He said, prayed. He said, Father, forgive them. He hit the reset button. He canceled our sin. He said, I'm going to pay for it so they get a do-over. And there, there was nothing fair and easy about this, guys. On the cross, Jesus received what he didn't deserve, death, so that we could receive what we don't deserve, forgiveness. And only Jesus has the power to truly forgive sins. And it follows then that his followers take his power to forgive each other. It's at the heart of the gospel. It's at the center of the Lord's prayer. Jesus teaches us to pray. Okay, pray this way. Forgive us our sins as what? We forgive those who sin against us. And the natural impulse in marriage when we're hurt by someone we really love is we want them to know how much they hurt us. And so we hurt them back. Tit for tat. Keep score. We nurse a grudge. I remember, I remember when you did this. Well, you, you, know, you weren't faithful. Well, you didn't provide enough sex. Well, you were always lost at work. In the natural world, couples keep score. This is how it works. They seldom forgive as Christ forgave us. But unforgiveness, it's been said, is like drinking a bottle of poison hoping the other person's going to die. It's even worse in marriage because two become one flesh. So when you don't forgive your spouse, you poison the whole relationship and you will suffer as much as he or she does. And the truth is only Jesus Christ can give you that power in your relationship to forgive your spouse for their sin, for their failings, for being an incomplete sinner. And that's what you are. That's what I am. I'll try to give you, I was thinking about this this past week. I was like, you know, I don't want to give you a story from 10 years ago. I want to give you a story from last week that what difference does this, does the power of purple make in my life? Because I'm not a, I, you figured this out by now. I'm not a perfect person. I'm a perfect pastor. But this is why I, I follow Jesus. This is why I love Jesus. He gives me that power. She, Colleen, my wife, she just, uh, she wanted to join this, this gym in town and everything. And, uh, and she's like, no, I just kind of want to start working out. I feel like, what well, do you don't need to know the background? She wanted to join this thing. And it was so funny because honestly, our, um, what's helpful in communication up here to you is not helpful at home as a husband sometimes. Because I can be fairly judgmental. <laughs> I can talk about things in black and white. You should do this. And when I do that with my wife, um, she sometimes interprets that as criticism. And um, it was very interesting because I could see on her face, she said, what do you think about me joining the gym? I said, you don't need to do that. You know what? We don't want to, I don't want to spend the money. You don't want to spend the money. You know, or do you have, you're going to do it with anybody? And she's like, uh, no, I was just thinking maybe I'd go. It's not going to work if you don't join it with somebody. You have to join it with somebody. You've got to think this through, you know? And I could just see this look on her face. Like just, you know, she was taking a step and I, I think looking for encouragement, honestly. I didn't know it at the time. But I just kind of like, you know. No big deal. I could sense there was some static, though. And so um, the next morning, I'm praying. And I'm praying for all sorts of things. Praying for you guys. Praying for our church. God, would you let there be a spirit of forgiveness? Would you, would you let there be love and marriages? Would you, would you help them respect us? And I'm praying this, and honestly, it's like God stopped me in my tracks. And he's like, how are you doing? And I'm like, no, that's not the point, you know. <laughs> But I felt him. I journal sometimes, and I was just writing. I was like, I felt like there's a static with Colleen and I, and it was like a thunderbolt. It was like purple down and put his finger. And he said, who are you to judge my daughter? You criticize her so much. Sometimes she just wants you to love her and encourage her. And I've called you into her life to build her up. Who are you to judge her? And I get emotional, but it seems stupid. I understand this. But I get emotional because it's like getting spanked by your father. That's the power of purple in your life. Because it's an imperfect person who submits himself to the father's perfect love and says, I'll follow you and I'll do what you want me to do and I'll serve in ways I don't even know how to serve yet. And I went back to her and I said, I, it's, it's amazing, I, I I said, hey, sweet, I just want to let you know, I'm really sorry about, um, about yesterday with the gym and everything. And my wife is amazing. I mean, she, she was ready to step over. She's like, oh, that's all right. Don't worry about it. I go, no, 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 no. I go, I feel like God just touched something in me this morning and said, I just criticize you all the time. And you know what? My job isn't to criticize you. It's to build you up. It's to believe, it's, 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 to, it's to say, I always want the best. I want you to be the best you can be, and I'm here to support you. I'm just... I'm just sorry. I'm sorry I always judge. I could see because it stopped our tracks and there was this like moment we had. 
If I didn't have Christ in my life, I would never double back. I would rarely go back because I love being right. <laughs> I do. I do. And she said, it's okay, sweet. You know, and we, you know, it's, it wasn't like a big makeup kind of thing. I don't, it's unfinished. I don't even know what to tell you. All I need to tell you is when that goes on day after day, that's how a marriage lasts. It's not my strength. It's not her strength. It's the power of purple. Amen? That's what God does in little ways and small. I don't know what God's telling you, married people. Maybe it's you need to forgive the boy. I was talking to a, a couple who is, they're in a shaky position because she caught him looking at porn. He was sexting, all that kind of stuff. And, and he's apologized. He's repented to her. But she's still holding on to it. She's like, I don't know if I can trust him again. I'm like, you can't trust him again. You got to trust God in this. I have hope for you if, if he says, I don't trust myself, and you say, I don't trust him, we both need God. All right, now we think we can do something. Maybe you need to forgive the man. Maybe you need to reconcile with the girl. I talked to a, a woman today um, who they were divorced in December, and it was interesting because she came up after our service, uh, and she said to me, um, Pastor Tim, candidly, she said, it's kind of weird, but my husband attends another campus, and we're in a church, and we're divorced, but I feel like I should, I didn't want to say reconcile, but I said, what do you mean? She goes, I just feel like I don't have this animosity and this hostility towards him, and I feel like maybe we've made a mistake. People say that on the front end. And I was like, what is that in you? She goes, I don't know, maybe God's saying something to me. I was like, you better believe that's God, because people don't do that after they divorce. They don't, they don't open up their hearts to be hurt and wounded again. And I'm like, are you open to receive marriage counseling? She said, yeah. I said, what about him? She goes, we actually talked about it last week. I was like, that is the Holy Spirit in your life. That is not coming out of a natural place. That is God saying, I can possibly give you a do-over and give you the power to forgive and build a new relationship. I don't know what's stirring in you. I have no idea about your relationship status, but the reality is forgiveness is an act of your will. It draws on the power of Christ to go to the cross and say, I'm going to cancel that sin and restore the relationship no matter what it costs me. And it's not easy, so get used to it. Easy does not enter into the equation. You know, think about forgiveness. Do you know what forgiveness is? Here's what it's not. Forgiveness does not negate your emotion. You, you know, some people say, well, I, don't feel, I feel like I forgave him. Your spouse may betray you. He may have been unfaithful to you, and you know what? You may still hurt or feel the pain of that for the rest of your life till the day you die, but you can still forgive. Forgiveness does not erase your memory. You know, we're like, well, doesn't God, like, he forgives and forgets? No. <laughs> Scripture's like, he throws your sin into the sea of forgetfulness, which simply means he decides never to bring it up again and use it against you. That whole forgive and forget thing, that's not in the Bible. You may remember what, you, what he did to you, what she did to you for the rest of your life. God doesn't have Alzheimer's. It's not like you're going to show up in heaven and be like, oh, Tim, you're a clean slate. He's like, I put your sin on Jesus. I still see it, but I'm putting his righteousness on you. You can come in. Forgiveness is fierce. It's a decision that says, I've decided I will never use the sin against you in the future. I will never speak of it again to you or anyone else. I release you. It's more about the tongue than the mind or the heart. You may still feel the pain. You may still think of it from time to time but you've decided not to speak of it again or use it as a weapon in the future. That's what gives forgiveness its supernatural power because it drains the wound of its controlling power in the relationship. Married couples, my question is, how often do you hit the reset button in your relationship? That was easy. No, it's not. You're married a sinner, and he's been forgiven by Christ Jesus, and now he needs to be forgiven by you. How, how, how do you know if you've truly forgiven someone? It's very easy. It's actually, do you, do you, do you find yourself still talking about what he or she did? One man said, every time I get in a fight with my wife, she gets historical. Not hysterical, historical. She always brings up everything from the past. Forgiveness is not easy. The cross was not easy, guys. The cross is God's way of saying, I'm applying love and forgiveness to restore this relationship with you. You can call the cross unfair. You can call it risky. You can call it ill-advised. Just don't call the cross easy. Because it's an act of God's will. And it cost his son everything to cancel our sin and hit the reset button with us. And he says, that's the relationship. 
It's not easy. Get used to it. Easy doesn't factor into grown-up life. During this series, I have heard from couples who are all over the map, um, some who are struggling, honestly, some who are newly married or, or new parents, uh, or some who are miles into the journey, and honestly, they're thinking about packing it in. Uh, one woman wrote to me, she emailed this, she said, we've been married seven years, and neither of us are happy. Now look at her question, did I marry the wrong person? Am I justified if I leave? And honestly, I think this gets at the nub of things, um, especially this illusion of happily ever after, because we assume if I'm in a relationship and I'm not happy, then I must not be in love anymore, or I married the wrong person. Let me try to shoot as straight as I can with you on this. It takes about nine years for people in a marriage to go from me and me to we. Nine years. The first nine years are all about me. How can I get my way? How can I get her to do what I want? How can I get him to do what I want? It's all about me, okay? Selfishness. After about a decade, it's like God whacks you upside the head. It's called reality. And you start realizing marriage isn't so much about happiness as it is about holiness. Happiness says, what makes me happy? Holiness says, how am I becoming more like Christ? More purple, please. Less blue, more of Christ. How can I give up my need to be right? How can I give up my critical habits? How can I serve the one that I love like Christ Jesus? And this is a paradigm shift, is it not? I mean, we don't look at marriage through this lens, but that's the biblical lens. The relationship is first about holiness, then happiness is a byproduct of that. It is the only way you make it through hard times when the feelings flatline and guaranteed they will. But if you realize that marriage is about holiness, becoming more like Christ, then the hardship, the struggles you endure, actually, you know what they do? They start shaping your heart, not hardening it in resentment, but actually stretching it like God did with me the other day and making it more dependent on God. I could just blown that off. You know, she's just not, she's going to ignore that. She's just it. I want you to do it, Tim. I want you to become more like Christ to my daughter, Colleen. And that's what's good. Not what works best for me, but what works best for we. How can I love you? How can I serve you in the kitchen, in the bedroom? When I hurt you, can I forgive you? And as both people reorient their life around this, guys, a beautiful dance can take place. The problem is most people usually divorce before year nine. They go through the lean times and say, I'm not happy and conclude, I married the wrong person. He doesn't complete me. Of course he doesn't. He's not Jesus, so stop trying to crucify him. Why do you think that? They don't get that the purpose of marriage is about holiness. You becoming like Christ, then first about happiness, getting your needs met. One is a byproduct of the other. You know what this means? On the cross, Jesus said, I'm putting your deal ahead of my deal. I want you to do the same in this relationship. And that's the paradox. He says, I'm going I'm to forgive you. I'm going to forgive you even if it cost me my life. And the paradox is, if you go for a holiness in your relationship, becoming like Christ, you will probably get happiness thrown in as a byproduct. But if you start that relationship with the goal of happiness, you typically get neither. Some seasons of marriage, you've got to simply survive. There are tough times. There are bad stretches of road. The first year, living together, an adjustment, major adjustment. That underwear monument, why does he do that? Having kids, that is an adjustment. You lose your job, adjustment. Financial crisis, adjust, adjustment. Most couples don't make it through that and they get divorced. They start all over again. Of course, have to repeat the most painful years of the process. Think about that. It's the worst short-term investment you ever made. But mark this. When you feel unhappy... When you feel most unhappy, that is when God sometimes is ready to do his deepest work in the relationship. He's tightening the knot because now you are forced to draw on something you never have before, his strength, and ask the harder question, the power of purple. How can you change me? What do you want to change inside of me so I can meet her needs, so I can serve you, Jesus, better, so I can, I can not change him, but how can God change me? And the reality is, that's not only how you make it through. You may get happiness as a byproduct because you learn to serve. You learn to forgive. You learn to love. You actually love. And guess what? It gets better because intimacy grows. And guess what? Then the sex get better. 
that all of a sudden things intensify and some incredible things happen. Pleasure actually begins to multiply in the marriage and happiness suddenly becomes like, I actually am enjoying this. Imagine that. Now this is, I'll just be candid, this is not a one-size you know, fits all answer. I'm sure there are a thousand different situations in this room and challenges you're facing out there. You're like, well, if you knew what happened, I understand. But I want to offer you a new lens to look at your relationship. If you think that marriage is first about happiness, you will likely be disappointed. But if you adopt the Bible's perspective that it's first about holiness, you may get happiness as a byproduct. That was easy. No, it's not but it can be done, and it can be deeply, deeply rewarding. At its best, marriage can be the closest thing to heaven on earth. At its worst, it's something else. It can be full of intimacy, of love, of, of, fun, of friendship, of fun, and at its best, it's God's mirror of his relationship with us. A love that sacrificed everything for his bride. It is a love that will one day make us holy. This is what gets us into heaven. Our relationship with Jesus And when he looks at us on our wedding day, he says, all beautiful you are. There's no flaw in you because I see Jesus. You're tracking with me? Married folks, you got to learn to forgive, forgive, and forgive again as Christ has forgiven you. I want to close this series with Ephesians 5.21. Let's read this out loud together. Submit to one another out of reverence for who? Christ. He's speaking to men and women. Ladies, pink, blue, men, submit to one another Really, I don't know if I can trust him. Not out of that reverence for him or her, but out of who? A passion for purple. The power of purple. It takes three. One plus one equals three. In any relationship, has to be focused on those three people. Man, woman, and Jesus Christ running through the center. And if you don't have that power of purple, you're not going to beat the house odds. I'm just going to be candid. So here's what I'm going to ask you today to end the series. Women in this room listening online, all of our campuses, New Brunswick, listen, women. My question is this how do you need to forgive the man in your life? Men, who do you need to forgive? Because any relationship that has a hope of lasting, man, you've got to draw on the power of purple, the cross, because you don't have the strength to forgive yourself. Pink, it's natural for you. It's natural. It's a beautiful thing for you to want a man who will meet your needs. But better than finding a man who thinks pink is a man who has a passion for purple, who's committed to Christ actually first and you second. Is that, can you imagine, would you celebrate that a man could be more faithful to Christ than he is to you? If you do, he'll be faithful to you. Blue, it's natural for you to want a woman, yeah, who's going to meet your needs. But finding, better than finding a girl who bleeds blue, candidly, is finding a girl with a passion for purple who loves Jesus Christ first. He's the man in her life. And then you second. You get to be all your imperfect junks together. And when you have those three intertwined, then you have something that can last for eternity. Then you have a bond that's actually made to last because a cord of three strands is what? Not quickly broken. I don't know where you are today, but here's what I'm going to do. I want to go out on a limb and guess there are relationships in this room that need to hit the reset button, that need to forgive, that need a do-over. And... Um, Maybe you need to do that in a big way, and um, I'm going to give you the chance to do that now. In fact, I'm going to invite every couple here today in this room to come forward together to the cross here in just a minute, okay? At the cross, you are going to find something new today, and that is a purple cord. You're going to find a purple cord at each string, and it is just enough to fit around your wrist, and we're going to ask you to tie that on each other's wrist as a symbol of submitting your relationship, your marriage to Christ. Even if you've got funkiness between you today, you come forward. Because the cross is God's most powerful symbol of forgiveness and restoration. Maybe this is a moment for you to actually speak honest words of forgiveness towards each other. Maybe it's to pray. Maybe it's to hug. I don't know. Our pastors will be up here actually to pray with and for you. We will pray for renewal in your marriage, believing that God wants that more than anybody else. We want to see his power in your marriage. He can bring healing and resurrection to that relationship. If you're engaged or dating, we'll pray for you up front as well. So couples, come to the cross up front. Put that purple string on your wrist. Let that be a reminder this week that you're submitting to Christ. You didn't marry a perfect person. You're married to a sinner. And that's why you need God to give you the power to forgive each other 
as Christ has forgiven you. If you're single, you're not here with somebody, that's great. You take a purple string too as a reminder that you're not alone. (laughs) You are in a relationship with somebody who's vowed to never leave you or forsake you. You have Jesus Christ in your life and let this be a reminder that he's the only person who will ever actually complete you the way you need to be loved. If you're single, we have a cross at the back. It's not because you're a second-class citizen. We just want everybody up front, okay? It's just relax, all right? We have leaders there to pray with and for you to tie that cord on your wrist. This is a symbol of Christ's presence in your life. If you're a believer, then you'll be welcome to receive communion on the sides together. If you're not a believer, maybe you're here today, you've been checking it out. Here's the deal. You've never made a commitment. You've never braided your life with the life of Jesus Christ. Today's that day. You need that relationship. You need to do that today. And all it takes is a simple prayer. Ask a leader to pray with you and you can begin a relationship with the living God and he's going to pour his supernatural power in your life. Amen? Couples come to the cross in front. Singles cross in the back and then together we'll receive communion on the side. Let's pray together. God, I pray right now, every campus, Jesus, you are a God of relationship and you have first shown that relationship powerfully to us through the cross of your son, Jesus. The cross is powerful. The cross has canceled our debt of sin before you. And nothing can take you, take us out of your hand. Nothing can break that relationship again. You have conquered sin. You have conquered death by the sacrifice of Jesus. We thank you for that. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. But right now, God, I ask that you would unleash your power in a new way in the relationships of men and women who are going to come forward to submit their marriage to Jesus Christ. Father, maybe... Maybe that purple cord has not been central. Maybe it's been on the fringes. Maybe it's been non-existent, Jesus. But I pray that you'll restore its primacy today. God, where there are hurts, where there are wounds, would you just dredge them up, Father? Just rip it out of us, Father God, and bring healing, bring restoration to those relationships. Father God, encourage our singles. Encourage the people who are divorced, Father, and hurting. Lord, you know the pain that they carry every day. I pray that you'll meet them at the cross for healing. Lord, as we put our hands on them, as we pray for them, Father God, would you bring deep healing? Would you bring restoration? We know you're a God of second chances. We ask you for that today. We thank you so much for your body broken for us and your blood shed for us, Jesus. Thank you for being our King, our Lord. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.